Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. And so as I said, we've been in a series called After God's Heart, and we've been looking at the life of David over the past few weeks, and we're going to pick up and continue that. Last week, we talked about how David handled failures in his life, and we talked about one of the things with David uh, when he failed, that, that he wasn't worried about God coming and taking the kingdom from him. He wasn't worried about God coming and taking his money or anything like that. The, the thing that he was most concerned about is he didn't want any relational loss in between him and God. He didn't want there to be any distance in between him and God. And so when he, when he sins, he repents and he prays and says, God created me in a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He, he wanted to continue to have that closeness. And, and even we talked about how David had learned because at this point in time, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would just come upon people and to, then descend from people. And that's why he kind of had that fear there because he had saw when Saul was anointed to be king, the Holy Spirit came upon him and Saul even began to prophesy and, 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 and things under the power of the Holy Spirit. But then later he saw Saul uh, in a, that's, that's a kind of a tongue twister there, huh? Saul, 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 did I get it right, babe? He saw him like to the point where he's crazy because he lost the presence of God. And so David was concerned and didn't want to lose that closeness and things because as we read throughout other Psalms and stuff, we saw that David's heart was in pursuit of the presence of God. And, and, and you know, as you get in the presence of God, it, it should make some changes in your life. Now, I grew up in a church where a lot of times we were in church services where we were in the presence of God, and you would see God move in people one way, and, and you know, they, they may speak in tongues, and they may do things like that, and then later when they leave that room, they weren't speaking in tongues, they were speaking loudly in four-letter words and things as well, and you didn't see any change in their lives. You didn't see any 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 difference in their life and and so uh, when you're in the presence of God it shouldn't be something that you just feel goose pimples and feel like 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 the uh, uh, you know you got goosebumps up and down your arm and a chill go down your spine listen the presence of God is far greater than some goose pimp, goosebumps and 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 a little chill down your spine the presence of God should change somebody and and as David was in the presence of God you can see the closer he got to God, the more he learned about God, the closer he, he began to understand the heart of God. And, and it's the same way in our lives today. The closer we get to God, the more we become concerned about the things that he's concerned about. And we begin to have a focus on, on reaching the lost. And we begin to have a focus on, on uh, 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 telling people about him and, and less of a focus on us and the things that we need. And David, as he gets closer to God, he begins to form kind of a, a, a deep relationship with him. You know, any, anybody have those friends who, like, they can just come up in your house anytime, like, not knock on the door, just open the door like their home and just walk on in, 
Come on, y'all have some of those friends? Okay, some of y'all are like, yeah, I have those, but they're not welcome. They, they just kind of do it on their own. But there are levels of friendship. You know, I, I'm not going to walk up to your house and just bust right in the door, you know, because it's, there, there's difference in levels of relationship because we don't know each other as close. But David knew God in a way that a lot of people didn't know him. I believe David uh, kind of had that thing that he could go up in the presence of God anytime that he wanted. He, he didn't have to knock. He didn't have to beg. He didn't have to speak in King James, none of that, to, to be able to get into the presence of God. And he developed a closeness and a relationship. And, and David wrote about the things as, as he's closer to God and God's revealing himself. David wrote about these things in several psalms. And so today we're going to look at four psalms and we're going to pull some things out of it that David uh, kind of had his revelation of God. And the first one that we're going to start in is uh, the 23rd psalm. Now, psalm 23 is probably one of the most famous passages of scripture. Uh, I know it's read at a lot of funerals. It's, it's on uh, a lot of pictures and things that are in people's houses and, and things. But David wasn't writing this thing to be framed. He wasn't writing this as, as part of a eulogy at a funeral. He is writing this out of the revelation of who he understood God to be. Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I want you to notice he, he makes it personal. It's not, he's not a shepherd who's distant, but he's, he's my shepherd. I'm, I'm in relationship with him. And because he's my shepherd, I have everything that I need. He lets me uh, rest in green meadows, and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along path. He guides me along the right paths, and he brings honor to uh, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you are close behind me. You know, David is he's sharing these different revelations, different things of, of who the, the, the shepherd is to him. He says, your rod and your staff, they, they protect me and they comfort me. Now, if you, you talk about a rod in other places, a rod was kind of for correction and, and things. And, and, and David is even saying, the fact that you correct me brings me comfort. Not shame, not condemnation, it brings me comfort. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my, my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely the goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And when you read that, you know, it's a nice you know, six, seven verses of, uh, of Scripture. But there, there are some major revelations and truth that are in that. And, and so I'm going to give you a list. And so if you've got notes, you're going to want to turn it over on the back of that page because they don't have enough lines on there for you. I'm going to give you 12 things that we can pull out of the, this little short passage of Scripture as benefits of being in a relationship with a good shepherd. The first one is this, is that he provides your needs. He said, the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything that I need. It doesn't necessarily say I have everything that I want. 
But he says, I have everything that I need. And David went through times in life where, I mean, he lived in a palace. He had a great kingdom. He, there, there were times when he was very prosperous and rich. But there were other times in his life where he's just wandering around in the fields with the sheep, following after them and, and, and just coming upon provisions as he, as he can. There were times when he's running from his life in caves and hiding in, in places. But the one thing that David said is, in, in all the years that the Lord has been my shepherd, one thing that I can see is that I have always had everything that I need. He's always provided. The second thing that we see in this is that he gives rest. I think this is something that, especially in America, we need to learn a little bit better. We need to learn to rest. It's amazing at how in a bunch of other countries, like they actually have a time in the middle of the day where they, they take a siesta, they take rest and everything. There, most of us would be like, there is no way I could stop at 2 p.m. and go take a nap until 4 p.m. and, and get on with my day. There's, there's just no way. Like we, we're, we're even thinking right now, we're not even able to just kind of rest and listen to this sermon because we're thinking, okay, I've got to go to Sam's and I've got to pick up this and then I've got to go do this and I've got to go do this. And, I gotta, and we've got this list and we're in this constant state of anxiousness and anxiety and, and go, 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 go. But here he says that the Lord, one of the greatest gifts that he gives you is rest. And so many people, like, we like, I don't even have time to take a nap. But the Bible even talks about honoring God with a Sabbath day, an entire day where you rest. And some of you are like, I can never do that. You're getting anxious just thinking about resting for a day. It's causing stress. But it's a gift that God gave us. And it's a gift that he wants us to enter into. Jesus even said in Matthew 11, he said, If you're weak and you're weary and you're heavy laden, come unto me. And I will give you what? Rest. Third thing is he restores our strength. And one of the ways he restores your strength is by giving you rest. God doesn't want us going through life worn out and weak and weary. He wants us to come to him. He wants to give us grace. He, he wants when in our weakness to become our strength because we learn that in our weakness we tap into him and let his grace be sufficient and his strength made perfect in our weakness. The fourth thing is this, is that he leads us on right paths. I want you, there's, there's some very important words in the way that, that it's not we lead him on what we perceive to be the right path. Because if we're honest, that's the way a lot of us live our life. Like, okay, God, I'm going here, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to marry this person, I'm going to go do this business deal, and then I'm going to go to this school, and I'm going to do this. And we tell God what we want, and we want you to bless it, by the way, God. Bless me along the way. Like all these things, this is, this is what I want to do. You said that if I would delight myself in the Lord, you would give me the desires in my heart. It's not what it meant there. It meant that he would change the desires of your heart to match what his desires are. As he is leading you on the right path. We have to take time to ask him. The Bible says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Psalms 119, 105. 
It's, it's in his word that he will show us and lead us and guide us. I was talking to a, a man earlier today who's been praying about, you know, he's retired and he's thinking about moving uh, to be with his family and his grandkids and be closer to them. And he's like, I still, you know, I'm just kind of waiting right now. feel like I'm, I'm kind of doing some groundwork to lay the possibility of it happening. But, but God hasn't spoke to me that it's time that I'm supposed to do it yet. And I just looked at him and I said, listen, there's not a decision that you ever have to make hoping that you made the right choice. God will lead you and guide you in the right path if you will take the time to ask. And not just do what seems best because Proverbs says it about four or five times. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end leads in destruction. God doesn't lead you down a good path or an okay path or anything. He leads you down the right path that you need to be on. Number five is he leads you in the darkest times, in times of grief, in times of sorrow, in times when you should be rejoicing and celebrating, but because of circumstances or things that have happened in your life, there's grief and there's sorrow. You're never alone in those moments. In fact, those times where you're brokenhearted, in Psalms 34, it says that God is near to the brokenhearted. Sometimes those darkest times in our life are opportunities for us to know God and experience God and learn about God in a way that we've never experienced before in our life. Number six is he's close to you. It says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death is what the, the King James says. He says, you are with me. He's not the distant God. I want you to notice how much, in, 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 if you read through Psalms, you'll, you'll see how David didn't see God the way that a lot of people in this time, a lot of people in this time were still trying to make the right sacrifices, trying to earn God's approval and all of that. He didn't, he didn't see God as a distant God who just wanted you to kill lambs to cover up your sin or, or come to him once a year on certain holidays or a couple times a year at certain feasts and, and things like that. He saw him as somebody who wanted to be close and, 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 and uh, acquainted with him every single day. Even to the point in one place he says that even in my grief and sorrow, you bottled every single one of my tears. Come on, you've got to be pretty close to catch somebody's tears. And that's the, that's the difference in between David and a lot of people in the church world at this time is for everybody else, he was a distant God. But for David, he was a God that was close. He was a God that walked alongside him. The next thing is that he protects us and he comforts us. You'll see throughout the Psalms, David will talk about he, he is my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my strong tower. He, he covers me under the pinions of his wings. He, he, he's, a, he's a mighty God. He's a, he, he's a, a uh, my shield and my buckler, like time and time again, David understood that God was able to protect him. I mean, he, he's running for his life on multiple occasions, not only from King Saul, but even from his own son, Absalom, who tries to take over the throne. And every step of the way, this isn't something that he's hoping that God might be able to protect him. It's because of life experiences that David went through. David understood that God definitely, without a doubt, is able to protect you. And see, sometimes we get mad and frustrated and feel like we're being punished by God 
because of certain situations that we go through when really the situations are, are allowing you to learn an aspect of God that you've never known before. How would you know him as protector if you were never in a place where you were in danger? I think it is amazing how in the church world today, like, there's people who are like, well, I can't go to the mission field. I, I can't go serve in this community. I can't go and be here because that's dangerous. That's the exact place that God wants you to be. Because he's all around you. He's able to protect you. He's able to, 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 to lead you and comfort you in everything that you need. Even the next one is, is this. It says that he will provide for us even when our enemies are near. He said, you prepare for me a table in the midst of my enemies. When my enemies are surrounding me, you, you, you're right there. You, you're giving me my daily bread and my food with my enemies all surrounding me. See, we want God to just eliminate our enemies. We want God, God just strike them dead, Lord. Rain, fire, and brimstone on them and consume them and all that. But the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do the opposite of that. We're supposed to bless those people who are an enemy to us. And here David says, right in the middle of my enemies, God just sets up a table for us to just sit down and eat. And just have fellowship. They're not in a heightened state of, of having to defend themselves and having swords in their... their they're sitting at a dinner table, eating, fellowshipping together, learning one another, having conversation about what's near and dear to their heart, what's going on in their life. Again, he's talk, it, it, it's showing a sign of intimacy and closeness right in the middle of chaos. Number nine is he anoints us. There's many different things. Uh, anointing oil represents the Holy Spirit. The anointing in, in the New Testament talks about how the anointing of God can break every yoke of bondage and, and, and set the captive free and all of those things. In the Old Testament, anointing oil was used to anoint kings or, or put status or, or things. But in the life of a shepherd, because that's what he's talking about here with sheep, anointing oil a lot of times was applied to the head and the ears and stuff simply to keep bugs off of their ears and to keep them from buzzing in their ear. Anybody ever had like a little gnat or something get stuck in your ear before? Anybody ever experienced that? Like that is torture. And some of y'all are like, ah, oh, it wouldn't be that bad. It's just a gnat. <laughs> Let a gnat fly in your ear, and I guarantee you, you'll be thinking differently. And that oil would keep those gnats from being in their ear and the bugs and stuff from all that. And you may not have ever had a gnat in your ear, but I can tell you this. You've had the enemy come up and whisper something in your ear on repeat over and over and over again. You're not good enough. You're worthless. You're, you, you can't forgive them. You'll never be good enough. It's just things over and over and over again in, in your mind. And the anointing oil silences that and eliminates that. Number 10 is he makes our cup to overflow with blessing. 
He said, not only does my cup overflow, but it overflows with blessing. Notice that, that it, it's not, he just fills the cup, but it overflows. Why? Because the blessing that God gives us was never just for us. It was for the people that were around us. He wants to bless us so much that the people that we come in contact with, the, the, the communities that we live in and, and, and things experience the blessing of God simply because we're there. It doesn't show a, a lack. He's already said, I have everything that I need. And now he says, I'm I'm walking in blessing. Number 11 says, his goodness and his mercy will pursue us all the days of our life. In the NLT, which is a translation I read you, it said, his goodness and his unfailing love pursue us. There are so many people who are trying to earn the love of God and trying to, to perform so that they can experience the mercy of God. And David said, this isn't... This isn't the way that it works in my relationship with God. The very, where, where I go, goodness and mercy, goodness and love follow behind me and, and go with me because it shows that God is active in his pursuit of us and, and that we don't have to, to do everything just right in order to earn love or mercy, but he pursues it, offering it to us as long as we'll stop and take advantage of it. Stop and... Allow it to overtake us. Stop and receive it so that we can give it to others. And not just keep it for ourselves. Number 12, he wants us to dwell in, uh, dwell with him forever. You know, he's not trying to get rid of us. He's, he's preparing a place for us. That where he is, there we can be also. All of that from one of David's songs. All of those revelations from one short song. It's one of his shortest psalms that he writes. And those are pretty amazing promises that are there. But, but the psalms are full. Another one of his psalms that is one of my favorite is Psalms 139. And sorry, at verse 1, it says, Oh Lord, you examine my heart and you know everything about me. And some of you are like, Oh Lord. I am in trouble if God knows everything about me. Uh, don't worry, it gets worse if that's your view. He goes on and says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, you know my thoughts from even far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. Uh-oh. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. He knew I was going to say that word. Yep. And he didn't strike you down. He didn't eliminate your ability to speak. He didn't attack you. He didn't punish you. All of those things. David isn't saying this in a fearful way. And we've already established that David wasn't a perfect person. That David had lustful thoughts and he pursued them. That David had greedy thoughts. That David had prideful thoughts. That David had different things. So when David is saying this, he's not saying it like, oh no, God's going to strike me dead because he knows what I've been thinking. He knows what I've done. David is impressed by this. Like he's, he's like, God... You know everything that I've done. You know everything that I was going to say before I even said it. You know all of this. He said, you go before me, you follow me, and you put your hand of blessing upon me. You know all of this, and you still, for some reason, choose to bless me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. David is not worried. About, like, you're going to punish me. You're going to destroy me. You're going to... He's like, no, even in all my faults and my failures, I don't understand it. I don't know why you're like this, but you still love me. You still choose to bless me. Everywhere that I go, you go with me. You, you, like you're protecting me. You're guiding me. You're supporting me everywhere. I don't know what it is that I've done to deserve such a love, such passion, that it follows me, that it overtakes me. But I sure am glad that I have it. But for the most people who are in the church world today, that's not the view that they see of God. The minute that they make a mistake, the minute that they think about anything, they're on their face like, oh God, please don't, please don't, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And you're bargaining with God. David isn't bargaining with God. He even says, he says, if I could go into the, uh, the dark, if, if I could ask the darkness to hide me, uh, your light would become night. Uh, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same. It's like there's, there's nothing I can do to even hide. And there's, it's pointless for me to try to hide who I am or what I've done or the sin that's in me. Because God, everything to you is light. You made me all the uh, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it! You watched over me while I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was being woven together in the dark of the womb. When I was in my mother's womb, it it wasn't because I was a mistake. It wasn't just by chance. Everything about me has been so fearfully and wonderfully and intricately created and made for the purposes and things that you've laid out for me. And some people may be like, well, you know, I, I can get that, you know, if the... If, if, if it came from a, a husband and a wife that were married and, and, and all that. And it was, but I, I, I don't even know who my father is. I don't, I don't even know any of, any of those things. I, I was born in sin. You know what David says in one of the Psalms? He said, in sin I was born. A lot of people believe that the reason why he wasn't called to go in front of uh, Samuel when Samuel came to anoint king was because David was an illegitimate child. That he wasn't one of Jesse's sons and so he, he, oh, he's just a shepherd boy that's out in the the thing. But yet God called him because he had been planning for that day to happen his entire life. He says, you saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book, even before every moment was laid out before one single day passed. How precious are your thoughts toward me. 
They, they cannot be numbered. If it could be numbered, they would outnumber the grains of sand on a seashore. And when I wake, you are still with me. He said, God wrote out every day of your life before you lived And so many of us just go through our life doing what we feel is best when the God who created you and gifted you and knows everything that's going to happen to you in your entire life has it already written out what his plans are for your life and just says, if you want to know the plans that I have for you, all you got to do is come seek me and you'll find it. But yes, so many of us, again, we just live our life hoping that we're doing the right thing or making our best guess at things when God's already wrote everything out for you. And he just wants you to seek him, to find him. David understood all of this about God. And, and so David was so close to God that, that, that like, he, he, he wasn't afraid to talk vulnerably and open with God. You know, there's certain people that you can get around and, and, and you can just kind of share what's on your mind. Like, they know you, and if it comes out wrong, it's okay. They know, they know what you were trying to say, and they're, they're not going to be like, oh, I can't believe you said that. And then there's other people that you're around, and you have to watch every single thing the way you say it. Because if you say it wrong, they're ready to condemn you, ready to hang you type thing. And David was so close with God that... He was just real with what was going on inside. He didn't try to hide anything. He already said, what, what good would it do if I tried to hide it? Darkness is light to you, so it's, it's pointless in me even trying to hide anything. And so he just shared. When something hurt, he told God it hurt. When he didn't like something in his life, he told God, I don't like this. This is, I mean, I, I'll show you. In, in Psalms 22, uh, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you gone so far? Uh, why are you so far away when I groan for help? Anybody ever been told you can't ever question God? Show me that in scripture. Because I will show you hundreds of times where people question God and God didn't destroy them. Here's two questions in one verse Why have you abandoned me? Why are you far away from me when I groan for help? Every day, God, I call to you and you don't answer me. Every night I lift my voice and I don't find any relief. Yet you are holy and you are enthroned on the praises of people. Some of us would never have that type of a conversation with God. Where it's like, God, I'm praying. God, I'm, I'm doing everything I know what to do. I, where are you? Because we'd be like, well, that's, that's disrespectful. Or that's what, no, that's intimacy. That's closeness. So with me and my wife, if there's things that, that hurt me, like I can tell her that hurts me. Or if there's things that, that hurts her, then she can come and say, hey, Brandon, can I talk to you about something? That's the famous phrase for you, did, you messed up. You did something wrong. But after 21 years, I hear that phrase a whole lot less than I did before. Because the closer that we get, those things, I don't make those same 
mistakes and things because I've learned her heart. And she's learned what's important to me. And it's the same way that God wants to work. David can ask questions and David can do things because there's relational equity and stuff that's there. There's a love. There's a, he knows that God is with him. And, and it goes on and he says, our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and, and they were saved and, and they trusted in you and they were never disgraced. This is almost exactly word for word what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 when he says that all that will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and in verse 11 he says everyone who trusts in the Lord that, that uh, they will not be put to shame or they will not be disgraced. It's almost word for word the, the passage there that, that Paul writes later in Romans. Psalms 13 is another psalm that David pours his heart out to God. He said, oh God, how long will you forget me? Forever. How long will you look the other way? How long will I struggle in anguish in my heart and in my soul and, and, and sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemies have the upper hand? Like, God, where are you? Like, why am I still here? Why am I still suffering? Why, why does it still seem like the enemy's winning? This, this isn't right. Turn to me and answer, oh God. Restore the sparkle to my eye or else I would die. Don't let your enemies gloat over me saying we have defeated him. And don't let them rejoice at my downfall. He's just being real with what's inside. And then in verse 5 he says, but I will trust in your unfailing love. Remember the unfailing love that chases me down. I'm going to trust in that. I will rejoice because you have rescued me and I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. I don't know if y'all caught the pattern in both of these things. David would cry out to God and he would question God, but then he would come to the place where he was like, this is where I am and this is what I feel, but I'm not gonna allow my feelings to determine my actions. And I'm gonna remember that even though it seems like my enemies are gloating over me right now and, and saying that they defeated me and, and everything, instead of sitting and feeling sorry for myself, I'm going to rejoice because, God, you've always rescued me. When I was running from Saul, you rescued me. When I was playing the harp in front of Saul and he threw spears at me twice, you rescued me. When I was watching the sheep as a young boy and the lion came, you rescued me. When the bear came, you rescued me. With Goliath, you rescued me. God, you have always rescued me. And then in the other psalm, in Psalm, uh, I think it was 22, he said, I remember what you've done for God's people. That your people, you watched over them. And when they cried out to you, you rescued them. David would pour his heart out to the Lord, but then he didn't stay in that depression, in that place of sorrow. He decided, I'm going to go from here, and I'm going to begin to turn my focus on God, and I'm going to begin to worship God. I'm not going to allow my circumstances to determine the way that I live my life. 
in spite of my circumstances, just as Pastor Q talked about Paul and Silas in prison, beginning to worship God. Yes, this is where I am right now. I'm not denying that the situation that I am in stinks and that it's unfair and that I don't feel like I should be here. But God, it doesn't change who you are. You are the God who saved me. You are the God who provided for me. You are the God who loved me when nobody else loved me. You are the God who forgave me over and over and over and over again. And so I'm not going to feel sorry and be angry and distant from you. I'm coming toward you in worship. Because in spite of where I am right now, I know this isn't where I'm going to stay because I know who you are. Your loving kindness follows me all the days of my life. On the good days and the bad days. And eventually it's going to overtake me. I don't have to be afraid. You're with me. Even in times when I'm being disciplined because of my own sin, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, it comforts me. Because I realize that the fact that you are disciplining me means that you see me as your son. Your discipline is out of love, not out of rejection for me. And so verses running from you because I'm afraid of discipline. I'm running to you because I know you've always been my place of provision. You've always been my place of peace. You've always been my place of protection. You've always been my place of comfort. And it's that David writes very much sounds like what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. He said, don't be anxious about anything but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think upon these things. It's pretty much exactly what David just said. This is where I am, but I'm crying out to you and I'm bringing my anxieties to you. And now I'm going to worship you because you've always been faithful. I remember when my dad forgot me and you made Samuel say, we're not sitting down until you get the other boy. Because you didn't forget me in the field. You brought me there. And I remember it was you that had Samuel anoint me with oil. When he could have went by what looks best and see Eliab as the big strong soldier guy. But you overlooked what looked best on the outward appearance. You protected me and you chose me. How is it that David, a thousand to eleven hundred years apart, that they had this same revelation of God? And it's simply because David and Paul both were willing to seek God for the fact of not just salvation to make it to heaven one day but to know him Paul said I, I want to know you and I want to even know the power of your resurrection and he knew by saying he wanted to know the power of the resurrection he knew there had to be a death he knew there had to be great suffering but he was willing to endure anything because he just wanted to know God deeper. David was able to go through good times and bad times, mountaintops and valleys, because he just had a desire to be in the presence of God and know God in a deeper way.
See if God can give the same revelation to David and Saul when they're 1,100 years apart. We have the same invitation to seek him. Jesus said, if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. But do we take him up on that? James wrote that if we would draw near to God, that he would draw near to us. Who, who moves first? Us. If you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. He already left heaven to come to earth to be punished for your sin. To take your sickness and your pain and your grief and your sorrow and your sin upon his body. He's done everything to make the way toward us. Now it's up to us. Say, God, I'm coming to you. I want to know you. I don't, I don't just want what you can give me. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I don't want to just think that you can do things like, I want to have an assurance because we're so close and we've spent time together that what's on your heart is now on my heart. That the things that I used to do that hurt you, I don't even have to be corrected in those things anymore because I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt you anymore. And so I stay away from it because I never want to be in, in a broken relationship with you. I want to stay close. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.